Hey there, and welcome to the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We're honored you've chosen to join us today. In a few moments, Senior Pastor Alan Miller will launch into this week's teaching. Before that, though, we'd like to encourage you to also check out our website, firstmissionary.net, where you can find out more about what the Lord is doing in our local body and how you can get involved. Now here's Alan with this week's teaching. fails will not fail me now you won't fail me now in the waiting the same God who's never late is working all things out working all things out yes I will lift you high in the lowest valley yes I will bless your name
step down into darkness, open my eyes and let me see beauty that made this heart adore you, hope of a life spent with you. Let's sing it out together this morning. Here I am to worship, here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God, you're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful to me. Is he king of all days? King of all days, oh so highly this morning. Thank you again, God, that we have every reason to worship. Not only for the things that you've done, what you're doing now, what you will do, but for you who made us, God. Saints in Christ Jesus. for the finished work of the cross today, Father. That there is nothing left for us to do but to rest and enjoy Jesus. We love you, Lord. As our ushers come forward, we'll begin our, our time of offering as a continuation of worship today. 
Let's pray together. Lord, we, we trust you with this offering. Thank you that you call us to be stewards, that you give us the opportunity to give, and that you call us to give not because you need it, but because it's good for us. God, you do this for us. And you promise to bless it in ways we could never imagine. We pray you do just that this morning. Bless and multiply what we can give today. We just acknowledge right now, God, that it's all yours, that you are owner and creator, and that we are stewards and managers. And we want to be faithful givers today. So we trust you with this, Father. Do something incredible as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's keep singing. God is able, he will never fail. He is a mighty God, greater than all we seek, greater than all we ask. He has done great things, lifted up.
sí. Excited today, so excited about being here. What a great way to start the service. Kiddos singing, baptisms this morning. Uh, come back tonight at five. The kids are going to be singing again in a musical uh, this afternoon. Bring your favorite dessert, please. And bring my favorite dessert. I would really, really appreciate that. Someone said to me uh, between services, uh, Brother Allen, I almost brought you a banana pudding. And I don't know if they didn't realize that we're going to do the musical tonight. But here, whoever said that to me, and I know who you were. I'm just not going to call you out. Here's your chance, okay? Banana pudding. This is a subliminal message for you today. Banana pudding. Tonight, 5 o'clock. Banana pudding, okay? If you don't know what to bring... I'm just letting you know, 5 o'clock tonight, if you bring banana pudding, I promise somebody will be here and will greatly, greatly appreciate that. Can I get an amen? Okay, two people I want to recognize this morning, okay? Uh, recognize, praise the Lord for these two folks, okay? First of all, we've been in this building this month for, for six months. That's hard to believe. It's been six months we have been in this facility. Man, God's blessed us tremendously with a great tool for ministry and for the gospel. So we need to give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Six months we've been here at this facility. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And there's a group of guys who always have our backs. Always. They're taking care of our children every week. They're on the parking lot making sure people are safe on the parking lot. You see them standing around. They're not CIA agents or anything like that. You see a little earpiece that they've got. But I'm telling you, there's one dude, one guy who has done a tremendous work. I mean, God, through his life, has done a tremendous work of raising up a group of men who keep us safe, keep us secure. Uh, that is Mr. Andrew Long. Have y'all seen Andrew? Is Andrew here? Is he out there in the lobby? You know, he didn't know we were going to do this in the first service. So I sent somebody out to find him and brought him, brought him in here. All right, so who's going to run out and get Andrew? Is he still here? Pap, is he here still? All right. Um, my, my, somebody might need to go out on this side as well, okay? Somebody run out that way, find Andrew Long, okay? He looks like T.D. Jakes, all right? You won't miss him, I promise, okay? Bring him out here, and when he comes in here, give the Lord a tremendous hand clap of praise, because this guy's, God through this guy right here, has done a tremendous, woo, yes! Well, yesterday, we'd had, we had a health fair here at First Missionary. Man, it was phenomenal. It was a phenomenal event. Uh, we were a little disappointed in our turnout. A lot of, not a lot of folks came, but it was so, so helpful uh, here, what we learned about uh, things that's happening in our culture. And, and, you know, just my conviction is, listen, guys, God's given you one earth suit for Him to be glorified through. And we need to take care of our earth suits. We need to take care of the vessel that God's given to us that where he's glorified. A good friend of mine years ago, he used to always say, stay in great shape. In fact, he ran five miles one morning and he came home. And God said, you're coming home today. He had a heart attack, enlarged heart. Someone asked him long before that, they said, you know, you, you just stay in such great shape. Don't you know that the Lord is going to take you home when he's ready to take you home. And my friend said, yes, I know that. But I want to be feeling good when he does. I want to be feeling good when he does. So 
great, 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 great encouragement for us. Take care of ourselves. Health fair yesterday. Hopefully we'll do it again. But a tremendous event. Thank you guys for doing that. Here's somebody else. We're going to praise God through, okay? I promise you. In about the last seven, eight years of ministry, I can't think of one single person who's brought more people to church than this guy. In fact, two of the people who were baptized this morning were because he brought them to church. Russell Redknife. I do not know if Russell is here. If he's here. Have y'all seen Russell this morning? He was here. I got here at 730. Russell was here. He's helping, he's helping out with kids' worship. Yeah, so um, my goodness. Um, last Sunday night, we had men's night, and, and Russell, and y'all remember Russell like he was in the seventh grade? We could never keep up with Russell. Russell was late for his own baptism because we couldn't find him, and he's in the back eating donuts. Y'all remember that? We're like, everybody's, we, everybody's looking for Russell. He's supposed to get baptized today. Nobody can find Russell. Finally, somebody found him in the back eating donuts. said, Russell, don't you know, you got to be ready and prepped and ready to go for your baptism. But anyway, I remember when Russell was in seventh grade, coming here, I mean, downtown, he would be up and down all around the place, you know. But Sunday night, he sat right there. And right after Bobby Green shared his testimony, Russell put his arms around Bobby Green on one side and Clay Cope on the other side. He stayed with everything, all the teaching, all the worship, from beginning to end, right there, hugging and loving on those guys. I was sitting right over there, and I said, and God said, Alan, that's what I can do through a changed life. And Russell has probably brought more people to church than anybody else I know. This is his family. This is his family. What a tremendous blessing. Here's Russell Redenauer. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. For that guy right there. Right there. One of my earliest memories of Russell is getting on a church bus to go to Winter Advance. And he was sitting there singing in the aisle of bus. I'm going to buy me a boat. I don't know. Something like that. All right. All right. God bless you, Russell. Just wanted to praise God for your life this morning. So thankful for you all being here today. We are going back. We're going to go back. We're going to go back in time, actually back in time in regards to where the church would stand based on our calendar. A couple of weeks ago, we celebrated Easter, resurrection of Jesus Christ. We've learned that the church, the early church, would come back Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And they'd come back together to worship. Now, on the calendar, we're, we're on the countdown to Pentecost. Fifty days after the resurrection of Christ, the Holy Spirit would, would come upon believers and indwell them. You read about it in Acts chapter 2. First time in all of human history that God's Spirit would actually live in and indwell believers. Isn't that a tremendous thought? That the very same Spirit and the very same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same Spirit and the same power that resides and lives in us today. Tremendous, tremendous thought in regards to what happened on the day of Pentecost when the church 
officially began. So from then on, the church would come back Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, not because Sunday was the new Sabbath. The Sabbath has always been Saturday from a Jewish perspective. But Christians would come back Sunday after Sunday after Sunday because they couldn't get over the resurrection. They kept coming back and celebrating and remembering that Christ is risen from the dead. And because He's risen from the dead, we have new life in Him. Sunday after Sunday is a celebration of the risen Christ. So for us, every single Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. It is a day to celebrate. But I am reminded today, and I want to remind you, of something really, really, really important. We're going to go back. We're going backwards from the resurrection. You cannot have a resurrection unless you have a cross. Can't have a cross unless there's a death. Can't have a resurrection unless you have a cross. And you can't have a cross unless you have Gethsemane. Let me say it again. You cannot have a resurrection unless you have a cross. And you can't have a cross unless you have Gethsemane. Today I want you to become intimately acquainted with the word Gethsemane. Gethsemane. You want to just say that with me, okay? Gethsemane. Gethsemane. We're reminded in the story, in the events leading up to the resurrection, that on the Thursday night after Christ had the Passover meal with His disciples, He and His disciples left the upper room and they went away to a quiet place. John tells us in his gospel that this was most likely a place that Jesus and his disciples would frequent, perhaps on a regular basis. A quiet place. A place to pray. But when you look at the biblical text, and you see there in Mark chapter 14, what happens in the Garden of Gethsemane is it was tough stuff. It was a critical place. For Jesus, it was between the Lord's Supper and between the cross and before the resurrection. He came to this place, this place called Gethsemane. A word, Gethsemane, that means wine press or oil press. This was located across the Kidron Valley from what is known as the Mount of Olives. And on the Mount of Olives was a grove of olive trees. And they would take those olives from the olive trees and they would put them in a press, an olive press. Gethsemane also means wine press. For grapes, they'd put grapes in the press. And from the press... You would get the precious oil or the juice that would make fine wine. The olives or the grapes 
wouldn't just be pressed, but they would literally be crushed. They'd be crushed. And when we think about Gethsemane, Jesus had His own Gethsemane where He was being pressed. And He was being crushed. But if you do not get the pressing, and if you do not get the crushing, you cannot have the extraction of the precious oil or valuable juice. The word extract means to be taken from usually in a violent or forceful way. Have you ever had your own Gethsemane? You ever found yourself in a situation or a circumstance where you were feeling the pressure, the crushing pressure of the weight around you. I mean, you thought you were going to die. And as you look back upon maybe a previous Gethsemane experience of your life, you realized that while you were being pressed and crushed, you, through that experience, you learned a dependence, you learned a reliance upon God that you've never known before. In fact, had you not been pressed and crushed, and maybe some of you today, maybe today you find yourself in a Gethsemane experience. You're being pressed. You're being crushed. Your finances are a big concern. Your health is really troubling you. Yesterday at the health fair, I came through and I saw all these booths set up and I thought, I don't know if I want to go over to some of these booths. Because they're probably going to want to take my blood. They're going to take my blood pressure, my BMI, my body fat count, all this business. And I'm sitting there going, I don't want to know. Don't want to know. Don't want to know. Don't want somebody to tell me. Your health might be a Gethsemane type experience for you. Maybe you've been through a divorce. Can I, can I get an amen on some of these experiences that press us? You went through the untimely loss of somebody you love. You lost your job. Something happened to your kids. You got news about something you did not anticipate or expect. And immediately, you found yourself in Gethsemane. And one thing that I've also learned about Gethsemane experiences is you can go from the peak to the pit pretty quick in life. I mean, you can be riding high. 
and everything's looking great. I remember we came to this building about six months ago. Man, it was just tremendous. And then all of a sudden, challenges start coming. People challenges, square foot challenges. And people would say, but it's such a great blessing. Yes, a blessing, but still challenges nonetheless. And then as we moved along, all the final billing starts coming in for the property and everything that was done. And I remember thinking, lingering up to that time, God, uh, we're going to be right there probably $300,000, $400,000 away from our goal. I remember at one time even thinking, God, might you get us to the completion of this and have no debt at all? And there were times we thought we were right on track. And then all of a sudden, weeks before we move in, I start realizing, God, we're going to have to do some things here. We don't have enough square footage. Eventually, we're going to have to go to two services, multi-center schools. And, and I love the intimacy. This morning at 9.15, it was a group not quite as big as this, but if you put them in here, we'd be packed out. But the intimacy that we experienced this morning was great. It's adjustment. And I commend you. I commend you. I commend you. For being willing to change and to move forward and to meet needs and look around you. There's room for people if they come and they've got a family of four or five or six. There's a place where all of them can sit together. These are places for you to be like Russell and go reach your friends. We need more Russells in the body of Christ who believe that Jesus is the only hope and he'll drag them to church if he has to. And all the billing starts coming in. And I'm excited. And I'm thinking, we're going to hit phase two. We're going to be building on before you know it. And I'm telling you. You can go from the peak to the pit real quick. Because what we thought was going to be about a three hundred to 400000 possible deficit was really around about a $1.1 million deficit. I say, but God, I didn't anticipate this. God would encourage me. And he'd come back and he'd say, well, look at this tremendous multi-million dollar tool I've blessed you with. There's things that you didn't even plan or think would happen and they've happened. Look at what I've done. And then I would say, but God, I've never been here before. As a pastor, 20 years, I've never been in a position where I would have to lead a congregation to tackle a, a financial mountain like we've got. And I wasn't prepared for that. And it was like a, man, I hit my stomach. I told God, I said, God, I don't know if I'm your man for this. Don't know if I'm your man for this, Lord. And God would just keep saying to me, but Alan, but Alan, I'm going to show you some things. I'm going to teach you some things because you've realized in your life and you realize, you realize, you realize when you were in your personal Gethsemane experience, God showed you things about himself that you would have never known otherwise. In fact, whatever your Gethsemane experience looks like, there's things that you won't know about the heart, the character of God unless you go through the pressing and the crushing of your own Gethsemane. So God would just encourage me, and He would say to me, Alan, wherever 
there is vision, there will always be my provision. You must trust me. I'd be like, God, I want to go back. I want to go backward. I want to go back. I want to go backward. And God would say to me, Alan, there's never been a time where I've led my people and I took them backward. If God had taken the children of Israel back to Egypt, they would continue to live as slaves. If the Jesus come into the Garden of Gethsemane on that very night that we're going to read about in just a second, if He'd come to that place and said, I'm not going, God. It's too hard. It's too difficult. Jesus had never been there before. But it wasn't an option for Him and it's not an option for us to go back in our lives. You've been through a divorce. You think, oh God, I wish I could go back. I would do this different. I'd do that different, God. God, I've lost my health. Oh God, if I could go back in time, God, I wouldn't have done this. Or I wouldn't have done that. Oh God, relationally, I wouldn't have made this decision. Or I wouldn't have made that decision. And I'm telling you today, you cannot go anywhere in your life but forward. Because you must believe and you must have faith. That beyond your Gethsemane, although there might be a cross that awaits you, you'll never have a resurrection unless there's a cross. And you'll never have a resurrection unless there's a Gethsemane. So Jesus and his disciples in Mark's gospel, verse 32 of chapter 14. The scripture says they came to a place named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here until I have prayed. So Jesus is anticipating what is coming. And he's praying. He took with him Peter and James and John. And they go further with Jesus. The other disciples don't go as far as these three other disciples go with him. But they go a little bit further than the rest. And aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that perhaps God has brought into your life? And maybe they're the people who are sitting beside you right now. Right now! They're sitting beside you. And they're the ones that went with you into your Gethsemane a little bit further. But here's the thing. Jesus was looking to these guys. He was looking to these disciples. And they were close to him. And Jesus was depending upon them to watch. You say, watch for what? Watch, watch for those who are going to come. You tell me the, the divinity and the humanity. The very Son of God. And the very Son of Man. Walking into this Gethsemane experience. But here's the thing, guys. You had the three that went with him a little bit further. Jesus would go even further. Then those three would go with him. You know why? Because not only in our Gethsemane experiences does God show to us the insufficiency of the people around us, but he shows to us the insufficiency of ourselves to where when we get to that place alone, we look up and we realize that the only one we have is the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll never realize that He's all you need until everything else you thought you need 
was gone. He would go even further without these three. And there on his knees, he would fall before God. And he would cry out to God. And listen, in verse 33, what he says to them. He's beginning to become very distressed and troubled. Distressed and troubled. Distressed and troubled. If Jesus, the Son of God, is growing distressed and troubled in His Gethsemane, then there's hope for us. There's hope for us. He's getting distressed and, and He's troubled. And He says to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of what? Y'all say that with me. His soul is deeply grieved. I want you to feel this. I want you to feel the heaviness of this. I want you to feel it. Like you, you, are, a, you are an olive in an olive press. And I want you to feel the crushing weight. Keep in mind, the crushing is not without a purpose though. You've got to have the extraction of the precious oil or juice that comes from the crushing. But in this moment, do you think you could walk up to an olive and say, I'm telling you, this is for your own good? This is for your own good? Because I've got to get out of your life the most precious and valuable thing that I can get out of your life, but I can't get it out of your life unless I crush you. Unless I press you. And Jesus is feeling this, and watch this. He's deeply grieved. Just say that with me. He's deeply grieved. Let's say this again. He's deeply grieved to the point of what? This is amazing. This is amazing. To the point of death. He's not even going to the cross yet, y'all. This isn't the cross. He's feeling the Gethsemane experience upon his life. And he's grieved to the point of death. He's concerned that he's going to die before he ever gets to the cross. That he'll die before he gets to the purpose of why he came. The Gethsemane experience is so crushing and so pressing. Jesus feels like he is going to die. You ever been there? Have you ever been there? I mean, you felt the weight on your chest and you couldn't breathe. And you thought you were going to die. God, don't, don't you dare bring any other bad news into my life. Don't you put another situation upon me. Because God, I can't handle it. And then God says, I know you can't handle it. That's why you need me. But you'll never know. You will never know how good I am and how sufficient I am for your life unless I allow you to be crushed. One thing about this Gethsemane experience, and I'll tell you something about yours, and I'll tell you something about mine, and I'll tell you something about ours. 
as we think about the pressures about us and the mountains that we look at. When you get there to your Gethsemane experience, God is never caught off guard. He is not taken by surprise in the least. God knew it was coming. And God could have, if He wanted to, He could have said, stop. I'm not letting it happen. Because many times when we find ourselves in a Gethsemane experience, we start looking back, right? Oh, I wish I could do this over. I wish I could do that over. God, I should have done that. I should have done this. God. You think someone could have come up to Jesus and said, oh, by the way, Jesus, you realize you would not be in your Gethsemane experience if you had better friends? Better friends? I mean, the three that he says to them to watch at the end of verse 34. Watch, remain here, keep, watch. He went a little beyond them, fell to the ground, began to to pray. He'll come back later and they couldn't stay awake. They couldn't watch the ones in the background. And what about Judas? What about Judas? Jesus, if if you had picked better disciples you would not be in the situation that you're in if you had better friends. We're talking about Jesus. Hey, what about this one? Jesus? If you were stronger, if you were stronger, Jesus, if you had been more obedient to God, My goodness, so many times we believe that, that our performance is related to God's favor. And I don't know how you're going to process this today, but for some reason God's used this in my life. When I feel like things are not going as I think they should do, go because I did this or I did that in a positive way, uh, the Spirit of God reminds me, He reminds me, He reminds me, God does not owe me anything. God does not owe me anything. And when I think about what God could do to show me that He loves me, I cannot look to anything that will ever happen in my life that will compare to the cross of Calvary. Because it was there that God showed to me His great love for me. And if I'm looking for something else to remind me or to show me that God loves me, I'll never find anything greater than what I found at Calvary. I'll continue to be disappointed until I fix my eyes squarely on the cross. And even then, I realize that God, God, God owes us nothing. He loves us because of His grace. Spirit of God's used that in my life time and time again when I felt like my behavior was connected to God to cause Him to do something. And then in that moment, I just cry out to God. And I might say, God, I don't know how I got here. But you're all I've got. I'm trusting in you. Do you think Jesus might have known Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? I mean, Jesus grew up as a Hebrew man, a Jewish person. He was wise in the Scriptures. Do you think Jesus might have known Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? Do you think, do you think that when Jesus was in Gethsemane, 
And he began to pray. In verse 35, that if it were possible, the hour might pass him by. God, I don't want to be here, is what he's saying. God, if it's possible, let this hour pass by. And he was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for thee. And he's not talking about the resurrection. He's talking about Gethsemane. All things are possible for thee. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I would in a moment, in a moment, in a moment, he changes. And he stops from asking God to remove it. And he says, God, if it be your will, then I will embrace it and I will accept it. Not my will be done, but yours be done. Do you think he knew Proverbs 3, 5? Do you have a life verse, by the way? Do you have a life verse? Years ago, God gave me this verse. I was reading through Scripture. I came across this. Do you have a life verse? This is my life verse. Do you think Jesus knew this verse? I believe he did. This is my life verse. I hope you have one. By the way, this is mine. You can't steal it, all right? This is mine. This has been a lot of people's life verse. What does it say? Trust. Look with me at this. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust. Do what? Here we go. There we go. Trust. Say it with me. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. There might be a million ways that you got here, and you might regret half of them. And all you can do at this point in time is say, God, here I am, but you're all I've got. You're my hope. So I'm going to trust you. What I thought was going to be maybe a $300,000, $400,000 indebtedness that we would have is at $1.1 million. And I've said, but God, but God. And he'll remind you, but I've given to you a multi-million dollar tool to be used for my glory, Alan. You use it. This community is your mission. You use this for my glory. But God didn't ask for this type of financial mountain. But God, what about this? What about that? And God tells me time and time again, I knew where you would be before you got there. So trust in me. Trust in me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And He will make your paths straight. And I've said, God, but what about this and what about that? And I keep wanting to look behind. And God says, you can't worry about that, Alan. You trust me. And God's put on my heart that if, that if a hundred families would commit to give in the neighborhood of $67 a month above their regular giving, then this next year, that part of this mountain can come down. And when I looked at the mountain, and I said, God, it's too big. And God said, you need me, don't you? Yep. Absolutely. 
But I trust in you, Lord. And I trust in you in the lives of your people. You're going to do a great thing. And the scripture tells us that Jesus would do this. Guys, listen, three times. When the disciples were asleep, went back, went back three times. Three times. Three times. And he kept saying, Lord, if it be your will, Lord, Lord, let this cup pass from me. Let this cup, let this cup, let this cup. And then each time, not my will, but yours be done. And he got up. And he went to the cross. And he experienced the resurrection. But don't tell me that Gethsemane experience wasn't hard or tough. God was setting him up for a resurrection where God would be glorified. So in your personal Gethsemane experience, could God be setting you up? Setting you up to extract out of you the most precious, valuable thing He could ever draw from your life to bring Him honor and glory through what you've been through. But I know, I know, you're like me. You'd like to run away from it, wouldn't you? You'd ask the Lord, is there another way? Can we do this without Gethsemane? And the answer is no. Because you do not stay there. It's for a season to extract. But you can never get to your future and to what God has for you until you trust Him in the crushing. The crushing is for a purpose. As you stand with us this morning, I believe that some of you, as you stand here today, you're being crushed. Got a good friend of mine, not too long ago, was being crushed by anxiety. Found out from the doctor, it was like the kid who thought there was a monster in the closet. It was never there. He was worried about something that didn't exist. And if it did, God took the monster out of the closet. And God killed the monster. He slayed the monster for him. So either it wasn't there, or God went into the closet and killed the monster for him. And today, he's walking outside of the Gethsemane experience, praising God for how God delivered him in his life. So some of you are going through some pressing, crushing, 
but it's for a purpose. I'm going to invite our prayer counselors to slip out. I'm going to have counselors at the door as Cody continues to play. If you want to come this morning, if you want to grab somebody before you leave today, you grab those folks. I'm going to have, Brady, would you get three guys? And would you stand at those three doors? I'm not for sure everybody might have got the opportunity to give this morning. So if you weren't prepared to give and to worship through your giving, let's have three guys at the doors and then you can give as you leave today. We are so dependent upon your faithful, consistent, sacrificial giving. We can't do what we do without that. So Brady's going to make sure we have ushers at the door. We're going to try to do this as regular practice in case you forget or you're not prepared. But we want to pray over you right now. Let's do that. Father God, thank you so much for your goodness and for your grace in our lives. Father, we yield to you today. We might find ourselves in a crushing, pressurized situation. And if we're not, we can go from the peak to the pit real quick, God. But you're going to be there. And we're going to trust you. And we're going to do what you call us to do. And we're going to believe that you've got something tremendous and great on the other side of our Gethsemane. Lord, I pray your spirit over your people today. I want to thank you for all who came today. Continue to give us favor here in this place. Pour your spirit upon us, God. Might we trust you and might you be glorified. Thanks for joining us on the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. That's it for this week's teaching, but you can always find more on our website, firstmissionary.net. We'd also like to encourage you to like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you benefited from this week's lesson, be sure to share it with your friends and family, then leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.